Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just entertain, but to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If you thought this week, this week was overfalling with earnings, you ain't seen nothing yet. Sure, it's not all earnings all the time. Today, we had to deal with some macro data, namely an incredibly positive gross domestic product number, 3.2%. People were looking for 2.5%. Oh, Hey, and that only bolstered the averages with the Dow climbing 81 points, S&P climbing 0.47, and the Nasdaq advancing 0.34%. But make no mistake about it, we are in the heart of earnings season right now, and that is what's really driving the action. So I'm not going to waste a second of your time, not even to argue with Elon Musk, Elon Musk of Tesla fame, who called me a simulation, a simulation, because I linked him with another great promoter, P.T. Barnum. I don't know if he really believes we're living in the Matrix or if he, he took me literally when I called myself a dollar sign masquerading as a man. I mean, honestly, how could I be a simulation? Here I am. It's just me all by my lonesome on my set. I mean, seriously, how can you not love that showman, especially now that he and the SEC have reached a deal about his tweeting this very evening? Guess I'll be a real free fire zone on Monday. All right. Either way, let's dive into the game plan for next week. First on Monday, before we even get to earnings, we're going to find out how much Avengers Endgame made for Disney in one weekend. I, I, I've never really seen a more eagerly anticipated sequel in my entire career, but I've also never seen an entertainment stock rally this much in anticipation of a billion-dollar opening weekend. The run is breathtaking. And I bet Disney can keep climbing if Endgame beats the billion-buck bar. Otherwise, yeah, let's accept the fact that after this run could be ripe for a little profit-taking. Got to beat that bar. After the close, we hear from Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google. We're hearing lots of chatter now about how after so many ball of confusion quarters, this company's finally going to start giving us the blowout numbers we've been waiting for. What do I want to see from Google? Wall Street has been consistently disappointed by the ad numbers here, even though 499 other companies in the S&P 500 would kill for this ultra-high margin business. But we have a subscription economy now which means I'm focused on how much they can make by charging you for premium YouTube. Frankly, Alphabet's been giving away money for ages. I'm betting that this stops as they do a better job of monetizing their content starting now. Yep, I'm looking for an upside surprise, a genuine one. I also want to find out if Google Cloud can really rival Amazon Web Services. What a number there. You see that stock up to almost 50? And Microsoft Azure, another great player. It's a very important quarter. But if I think Alphabet's huge, wait for Tuesday afternoon when we get results from Apple. Now, I am concerned, people. I am concerned that there's too many Johnny-come-latelys in this stock. Uh, camp followers who bought it north of 200 and closed at 204. And these summer soldiers, these sunshine patriots, they won't be satisfied no matter what Apple says. So don't pay too much attention to the action. Pay attention to the substance. This quarter is Apple's chance to show that a billion iPhone users are willing to pay them money for subscription services. I want them to show us this time the lifetime value of not just an iPhone owner, but watch owners and iPad owners. What makes these numbers so important, people? Simple. 
because Apple's transforming itself from a world-class gadget maker into a brilliant, vibrant play on the subscription economy. And if the company wants Wall Street to start treating it as more of a consumer packaged goods company with a huge installed and loyal base, it needs to give us new metrics to get our heads around the business. If you valued Apple like Procter & Gamble or Colgate, Better Quarter or Clorox, it's better. You know, it's silly, right? Because it's better than all those companies. But if you value it like them, you know what? You'd have a $300 stock, not a $200 stock. But it's never going to get that kind of valuation as long as the stock is covered just by technology analysts who think that the best days are behind them. Once Apple starts giving us these lifetime value numbers that I'm dreaming up in my head, that gives the consumer packaged goods analysts a reason to start covering the stock. It will only take one major firm to be bold about switching coverage. One research firm, and I think providing lifetime value numbers would be what gets it done. Look, I would never tell Tim Cook how to make an iPhone, but I know stocks the way he knows iPhones. And if Apple wants to convince Wall Street it's a new company, it's all about the subscription revenue stream, whether it be for storage, for pictures, for health, for credit, for entertainment, this lifetime value calculation per user is the best way to do it. We also hear from a couple of generals on Tuesday. We got the General Motors and we got the General Electric. I expect a lot of money to pour into GM because last night, as I predicted here, Ford delivered a huge upside surprise. That could be a very mistaken extrapolation. Ford shot the lights out because it stopped trying to be a worldwide one-size-fits-all automaker and instead decided to focus on profitability. Read my lips, F-150. The stock's nearly 11% mood today doesn't reflect strength in the auto market. It reflects weakness. Ford just saw that weakness coming, and I doubt GM will do the same. As for General Electric, oh, man, that's even tougher. I think CEO Larry Culp is doing an incredible job. I'm one of his biggest backers. But he's not Hercules, and these stables still need a lot of cleaning. The good news, Boeing, Honeywell, United Technologies have all told us that the aerospace business is extraordinarily strong, and gee, got a ton of aerospace. Bad news, we know from everyone else that power is notoriously weak. They got a ton of power. This is the quarter where Colt needs to find a way out of the power box. I have no idea how to make that happen. But Steve Tusa, the brilliant J.P. Morgan analyst who nailed the decline in G and also predicted 3M's nasty downside surprise. I don't know if you saw him on the judges' show this week. He was amazing. Simply will not go positive on GE until they solve the power problem. When Tusa eventually upgrades it, the stock will explode higher. But I can't predict how much lower it will go before that happens. It's too risky. What else? After the close, AMD reports. This chipmaker is Intel's main rival. So we'll find out how much of Intel's woes, including a terrible number this morning that really hurt the Nasdaq, are company-specific and how much are just general. In many cases, Intel's pain could be AMD's gain. I think they could be taking major market share. We're going to find out when we listen to CEO Lisa Su's tale of the semiconductor tape. On Wednesday, we hear from a company we spent some time with recently, CVS. CVS Health. And we're going to find out how that Aetna merger is working. Maybe that can get the stock moving away from its 52-week low, where it seems to be a denizen. We spoke to CEO Larry Merlot in one of his beautiful stores in Midtown Manhattan. I thought he told a good story, but healthcare is just so hated right now, and nobody cared. So consider CBS a show-me situation. Although, but I have to tell you, both Centene, after Michael Nygroff's appearance here last night, and United Health rallied hard today. Could be good for Aetna. At the same time, the best company that reports next week Estee Lauder will put on a clinique, (laughs) actually a clinic, couldn't resist, about how to make money by helping people look their selfie best worldwide. Fabrizio Freda, okay, the visionary CEO, is the best manager in the cosmetics industry. Oh, forget that. He may be the best manager in any industry. If you want to know what makes for a great conference call, listen to Estee Lauder, because a great conference call often means a great stock from a great company searching for you. On Thursday morning, we get numbers from Dow Chemical, which Dow has a 5% yield. 
That's because, of course, the stock went down. We own this stock for our Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Uh, we own it as part of the Dow DuPont breakup. Dow's former parent also reports, I, I think you're actually getting a gift with Dow's very safe dividend. Finally, on Friday, we get the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report for February, I mean, for April. And I've got to tell you something. I'm betting it will be strong. Unfortunately, the, that will be regarded as bad news. Because as soon as we get a phenomenal jobs number, so-called experts will start coming out of the woodwork, arguing that the Federal Reserve needs to raise rates. Don't listen to these people. Strap yourself to the mass. I'm not listening. Stick your knitting. The bottom line, aside from Friday's labor report, which is the most important piece of data we're going to get until the next labor report a month later, it's the earnings that matter in individual stocks. And just like me, they are no simulation. Sandy in New Jersey. Sandy. Hello, Jim. This is Sandy. Yes. Sandy. My son Brandon. Hi, my son Brandon is 13, and he wanted to ask you a question about his portfolio. I'm going to put Brandon on right now. Okay. Oh, hello, Mr. Craner. Booyah. Booyah. I'm Brandon. I'm Brandon from New Jersey, and I'm interested in McDonald's as one of my first holdings. I know the product very well, and I feel like it will be around for a long time. What are your thoughts? Brandon from New Jersey, you know what? I think I think you got horse sense. I see McDonald's sneaking up from 182 all the way to the 190s. I'd be careful there. Let's wait till after the report probably comes down a little bit, and then I would pounce. Bye, bye, bye. Now we're going to Mason in Louisiana. Mason. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I like your attitude. What's happening? Simulation or not, Jim, your profound insight is appreciated. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, about- you know, my daughter even asked me, she said, what, what, what does Elon have? A, why is he mad at you? I said, he's not mad at me. He just thinks that there's like, you know, a couple of me or something. What's up? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, my question is about SYMC, Symantec. Earlier this month, there was a House committee meeting featuring the chief executives of the biggest banks in the United States, and they highlighted cyber attacks as one of the largest non-business risks that they face. It's Symantec a buy and It's not a great company, but it's a good enough company to be able to fit the uh, profile of what people are buying here. My Chapel Trust, we own Palo Alto Networks. We think it's a better company, but be careful. Palantir is going to come public, going to put pressure on all these stocks. Jim in Utah. Jim. Hi, Jim. Greetings from St. George, Utah, just outside Zions National Park. Gorgeous. Jim, I was was having uh, lunch with some family members, and there was a general agreement that your financial advice is spot on. Wow. We thought you might want to start spelling your name G-E-M because your commentary is such a valuable asset to the small investor. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. My, my, my stock is Trinity Industries, PRN. I've made some profit on the stock, but my brokerage is now giving it a low rating. Would you uh, rate it a buy, hold, or sell? I think it's okay. It's got a 3% yield. You know what? Look, I'm a big fan of the rails, but the reason I'm a big fan of the rails is I like Union Pacific, then I like Norfolk Southern, then I like CSX, and that's the better way to play the railroad game. All right, we're in the thick of earnings season. That was really nice comments that Jim gave me. We're in the thick of earnings season. That is what really matters. I mean, let's face that. Oh, man, tonight, which stock could have you sporting mountain-sized profits for your portfolio? I'm on the trail with one of my faves, Columbia Sportswear. See if today's decline could be maybe a prime buying opportunity. Then with Uber expected to start selling shares in a few weeks, are the auto stocks roadkill? Not all of them. I'm telling you how Ford understands how the secular winds be blowing. And Intel's dropping today. But one chip stock isn't off the old block. I'm eyeing an off an overlooked play that could power your portfolio higher. Do not miss my sit down with the one that's 
really soared today. Cypress 7, stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. It's a family business that's withstood the test of time and mastered the elements of the markets. The outdoors beckon in every season. Should investors beckon for Columbia Sportswear in their portfolios? What, what, what the heck just happened to the stock of Columbia Sportswear? The apparel maker you know as Columbia, Sorrel, Mountain Hardware, Prana, and a bunch of other brands. The last time Columbia Sports reported in early February, the stock vaulted from 92 to 106 in a single day. Since then, it's kind of flatlined. Last night, the company reported again. And if you were thinking we get another phenomenal rally, well, the action here is, I think, a little strange. Stock was down $3 or 3%. What's the deal here? When you actually look at the numbers, there's a lot to like. Columbia posted a monster 24-cent earnings beat off an 83-cent basis with higher-than-expected sales up 8% year-over-year and rapidly rising margins, 200 basis points. Plus, management boosted their full-year guidance for both top and bottom line. And I think that maybe that's where the problem is. Remember, Columbia just gave you a 24-cent beat, yet they only raised their full-year earnings forecast by 10 cents, meaning the rest of the year, some people think, could be worse than expected. I disagree. I think the company's being inherently conservative, doesn't want to overpromise. But do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper right now with Tim Boyle. He's the president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be with you as always. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tim. You know what? I'm not going to get lost in the Wall Street semantics of better than expected or not. What I see is a company that is offering genuine, authentic apparel in an era where lots of people do not like anything that is, let's say, say a copy or is not the true deal. And that that's the secret why behind your incredible success right now. Well, you know, we, we really try and be uh, true to our words, which, you know, authentic is one of our key words for the company. And as we've said many times, there's nobody needs another brand of apparel and footwear in this space. I mean, there's so many people to choose from. We have to differentiate ourselves not only by being an authentic provider of high quality merchandise under the four brands that we focus on, but really providing investors with a solid return and and really as as one of our retiring directors, Ed George, is saying, you know, you have to have a fortress balance sheet because who knows what's going to happen. But you know what? We've got the balance sheet and we've got the products to, to keep ourselves in great position. Well, I love when you do your conference calls. You always try to point out something new. I happen to be uh, an, uh, an avid angler. I love fishing more than ever. Use this performance fishing gear is a major focus for you, and you've got uh, a storyline for that too, don't you? You know, it's yeah, it's interesting, and actually, I love to fish too. Uh, you know, I don't get a chance to do it as much as I would like, even though it's it's part of my job to be a product tester. I don't get a chance to do it as much as I'd like. But frankly, it's a it's a bit of a unique position for our company. You know, most outdoor folks are focused on 
the uh, outerwear portion of the business, which we have a great business as well, and, and hiking and camping. And there aren't very many people in our space focusing on fishing and for whatever reason. But it's an area that we knew that we could own and we spend a lot of time and effort focusing on that part of the business, that sport. And we're just launching a, a channel in Instagram focused on, on PFG. And uh, we think that there's a big opportunity for us that doesn't exist with, with some of our competitors. I'm so glad you feel that way because I think it's a, an international sport that has tremendous resonance with a, a younger generation uh, that you would have thought maybe would have thought right. it's going out of style. They like the boat, too. Now, let me ask you something. In your uh, conference call, there's an opportunity I see for you and for me, because you were talking about a key city attack plan for coming to New York City. What are you going to do in New York City? And will you be here personally? I will be there personally. But, you know, the 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 uh, the city attack plan, which we've which we've modeled on successful city attack plans that we held in Houston, all about fishing our PFG products, and Chicago, which was really about our outerwear product. We're going to concentrate on New York City because there are people all over the world traveling there. We'll have some digital presence as well as some out-of-home presence as well as TV. So I'll be there for a period of time uh, at our store, but, but frankly, it's going to be about focusing over a period of time, finite period of time called six weeks, where we think we can make noise that'll get us noticed in a, in a better, more focused, laser-like uh, time. We're also adding Denver to a, um, our opportunity for a, a city attack plan, and that's going to be really about the users in Denver, where we, we believe we have an opportunity to really continue to resonate with those sports people there. You have become, uh, I think, maybe the, the single most successful company that I know in terms of using social media. You're an old guy like me. How do we know that these things work so well? <laughs> well, you know, it's the, the greatest thing about the social media and e-com and digital uh, marketing, uh, all those things, is you can really apply science. Where, you know, out of home is, is a more difficult approach. Yes, it gets noticed, but is it does it link to a sale. And so with the digital world, we can really link through science investments in marketing activities all the way through to a purchase. And that's really, that, that allows us to be much more efficient with our spend. You know, we, we've said before, one of our goals is to improve our spend and to increase our spend on marketing. Uh, and we think we can do it more efficiently. We still are underspending some of our competitors. We want to get up to that bigger number, but we want to do it in a very efficient manner. All right, one last thing my wife will cover who don't mention because it's your favorite brand. What happened to Sorrel that it could have such an incredible quarter? I mean, how does it just pop like that? Well, you know, we had some help from the weather. So we had uh, continued cold weather across the United States and North America, which helped to clean up old inventory as well as to have us help us sell some new product. Uh, but really the key was the focus of the Sorrel team on making it a year-round brand. So we have spring product, which has been incredibly successful. You know, we, we knew that the brand resonated with, with women based on our, our sales of fall product at wedges and, and other kinds of commodities uh, like that lightweight winter weather mm -hmm. uh, footwear. But it really, the brand really carries through with sandals, and, and other types of products, which are key for spring. And that's what really drove the business this spring. And it's, it's really key for us because, you know, we, we have about 40% of our total company sales are outside the U.S. 
Our partners around the world want to buy more Sorel, but they really have to have it be a year-round brand before they can invest in stores to sell the product. So we're well on our way, and, and we're very excited about the potential with Sorel. Well, you should be. This is a remarkable quarter. It's been a remarkable year for you. These were all record breakers. Thank you to Tim Boyle. He's president and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Great to see you, sir. What a company. Mad Money's back in. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Listening to the conference calls this earnings season, it's become clear to me that the automobile industry is in real trouble. Most people think this group's merely experiencing a cyclical decline, meaning the weakness is temporary and car sales will bounce back along with the economy. But I think it's actually a cyclical decline on top of a secular decline, meaning the whole sector is being gutted by longer-term issues that just aren't going away. And in fact, they're intensified. That may sound like a crazy thing to say on a day where Ford Motor rallied nearly 11%. But Ford's the exception that proves the rule. They're in good shape precisely because they're pulling back from the unprofitable portion of the vehicle market worldwide. Everyone else with auto exposure has gotten hit, especially the, stock, the stocks of technology companies that bet heavily on the industry. Uh, some of these great manufacturing companies, Illinois Tool Works, 3M, yes, even Tesla, uh, Intel, they've all been hammered. Although Intel, I don't know, the Intel, there's so many things going wrong right now at Intel. It's not, it's not easy to tell whether it's auto-related weakness or execution issues. So what's driving the secular decline? I think people have a hard time getting their heads around this story because the autos have been so central to the American economy for nearly a century. It's hard to believe that they won't bounce back. They always do, right? Hold it. Consider all the forces that are arrayed against the auto business, forces that were considered headwinds just a couple weeks ago, even as they now seem like permanent gale force winds that are eroding the whole industry's profitability right before our eyes. And at the epicenter of the pain, you've got the soon-to-be $90 billion gorilla that is Uber. For years, we viewed Uber as a terrific ride-hailing service that's using technology to revolutionize the taxi business. But you know what? There's another angle of the story. Uber is a sign that we've entered the twilight of car ownership. And perhaps even the idea of ownership in general, as the great teen Zhao, he's the visionary CEO of Azora, explained the other night. With the rise of Uber and the now totally tainted Lyft, buying cars become a lot less attractive, especially for younger, student-loan-laden college grads. They can do the math. When you add in the cost of parking, insurance, gasoline, Uber's simply a better deal than ownership. And with Uber's IPO rapidly approaching, this story's going to get a lot harder to ignore. Ford seems to realize this. Now, I've only, in all the times I've used uh, Uber, only one time I've ever been picked up by a Ford Super Duty truck. Uh, And that's telling. Ford has shrunk in its money-losing car sedan businesses all over the world. Rather than searching for sales growth, they're going for profitability. If you're an auto company that's trying to turn a profit, you're going to be making fewer cars. You're making a lot more. F-150s. Of course, you could argue, so what? The stock could be taken up by other competitors, but I wouldn't be so sure anymore. If that were the case, you wouldn't have industrials like Illinois Tool Works, uh, 3M, showing high single-digit declines in their auto business. Contrast that with Honeywell, which blew away the numbers, in part because it got out of the automobile turbocharger business last October. That had been a bedrock business for them. Honeywell saw it coming. ITW and 3M, not so much. By the way, 
We had 3M CEO Mike Roman on set this Monday. We'll talk about this and more. Now, the hopes for all of these companies had traditionally, uh, let's say, been China. They need the Chinese economy to come roaring back after vicious decline in auto sales. But no one's immune from the subscription economy, which is one reason Ford has been rationalizing the footprint even in the People's Republic. I think that move, too, will prove to be prescient. Hey, they have ride-sharing there. And look, ride-sharing is, is just the tip of the iceberg. Even though the demand is down, the automakers need to spend more and more money developing electronic cars, autonomous driving technology, something that keeps eating into their profits, even Ford's. That goes for Tesla, too, although anything from them is kind of hard to grasp. Still, if Ford thinks it's a good idea to pull in its horns, i got to wonder about Tesla's strategy for going for volume, although I readily admit that Elon Musk has worked manufacturing miracles. Toyota should buy Tesla. Put Elon on the board. I'm always thinking. No one knows how much money is being lost as part of this headlong rush toward driverless electric cars. Is Intel really making any money with Mobileye? It wasn't clear from the conference call. Can Ford and GM triumph over this expensive secular trend? Hard to say. But as we approach the eve of the Uber IPO, keep in mind that the auto industry just isn't a bedrock part of the econ- this economy anywhere around the globe anymore. And very few companies saw this one coming. The ones that did, Ford, Honeywell, they're being rewarded. Everyone else, they're suffering. I need to go to Nick in South Carolina. Nick! Hey, Jim. Big booyah from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Done your What's way, that? man. I fished there. What's up? Ah, golf, beach, everything. <laughs> my stock is Caterpillar. I would love to know your thoughts on adding here to my position after solid earnings and raised EPS guidance. However, in their call, they warned of China challenges still. You know what? You know what? I got to say, Nick. They have taken the risk out of that stock when they said that. I think Jim Uppleby, yeah, I like Jim Uppleby. We should have him on. You know why? Because Jim Uppleby understands the world economy. And that's why I thought the double downgrade of Caterpillar not that long ago was wrong. I think Cat is an inexpensive stock with a good balance sheet, good dividend, and I want you to own it. Let's go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil! Who are you, Dr. Jim? TGIF. Oh, man, is it ever TGIF? Although I'm going to do this show from my apartment tomorrow. That's a good thing. I would love to see you seven days a week. It's always awesome seeing you and listening to you on TV. It's always complete listening to you, Jim. So I I appreciate all your your advice with everything. Thank you. Um, I have a question. You're welcome. I have a question about I'm thinking about investing in Lockheed Martin. Year to date, Lockheed Martin is up over 25%. Do you think Lockheed Martin has run up too much? And do you think no, that Lockheed no, Martin no. That conference, call, that conference call was the best of the defense stocks. I know a lot of people like Raytheon, but then you listen to the conference call, it wasn't. Lockheed Martin is set for life with the F-35. It's going through hard times. Those hard times are over. LMT is for me. All right, Ford understands how the secular winds are blowing. The rest of the automakers, I'm not quite sure. Man Money tonight, Tech Play Cypress Semi got a nice lift today. I'll see if it could give you the magic touch following earnings. Then I'm sitting down with the man behind the revolution in the bond market. Do not miss my exclusive with the guy who's made a ton of money, the CEO of Market Access. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. There are some people who are so excellent, who are in our life. No, it's one word. I've told you the word before. Relentless. He is relentless. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
This was a brutal day for the semiconductor cohort. Wow, Intel plummeting 9% after a troubled quarter. But maybe Intel's the wrong chip maker to watch here. What if we can get a better read on the entire group, and certainly on the semiconductor business, it is when it comes to certain ends of it from Cypress Semi. It's the maker of programmable systems on a chip, along with chips for touchscreens and microcontrollers, appliances, and, of course, the Internet of Things, which is really what I'm going here. Last night, Cypress reported a spectacular quarter. And its stock pulled at a dollar twelve, or nearly seven percent today. In response, the company delivered a top and bottom line beat with guidance for the next quarter that was almost perfectly in line with expectations. Supposed to the cuts we're seeing, that may not sound super impressive, but remember the semiconductor business is supposed to be awful right now. The entire rally here is based on the perception that it will get better in the not too distant future. And Cypress Semi is already seeing improvements thanks to the real strength of their internet or IoT, Internet of Things business, offsetting slower numbers from the industrial and automotive end markets. So they've got some good things to say about auto. The stock's now up 36% for the year, but it still sells for only 14 times next year's earnings. I think it could have a lot more upside. So let's take a closer look with Hassan El Khoury, and Hassan's the president and CEO of Cypress Semi, get a better sense of the quarter and where it's headed. Mr. El Khoury, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. Thanks, Jim, for having me. Okay, look, you've got a great story, son. One of the things that I, I, I think that's really amazing is that you talked about a 20% lift in the second quarter for Internet of Things, no one had, no one's seeing that in semis. Why is your company so specifically bullish about what's happening right now? Well, there are two aspects of it. The first aspect, obviously, is what we have been executing to, which is the technology that we're providing. But more importantly, over the last two years, we have diversified our customer base and our end segment base in IoT. IoT is very broad. You have to be everywhere all the time. We've been able to do that foundation and build that foundation over the last two years. And now we're enjoying the, the, the 20% growth across all of these segments and customers. All right. Well, look, you've got uh, Siemens, Mitsubishi. You've got uh, Boston Scientific, uh, Medtronic. But you also mentioned Amazon, stock that was up very big today. Give people uh, an example of what you would do for an Amazon. So for Amazon, obviously, for I, I'm not going to go into a lot of specifics. But if you look at what technology we provide to uh, Amazon specifically, we have the connectivity, wireless connectivity, you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and more importantly, which differentiates us versus a lot of other players that might have wireless uh, assets as well, is the combo chip that combines Wi-Fi and Bluetooth together. That's a very unique capability we have. It's very hard to replicate, and that makes us a very sticky solution. We do that in, in addition to some of the PSOCs that you mentioned earlier in the intro. I understand you're the fastest, most reliable, and uh, most durable in that combination. It's not just the idea that uh, it's, it's just a combo that you put together, right? I mean, you have, this is a proprietary technology that you have. Uh, that's right. That's right. And it has to be solid. It has to be reliable, like you said, because we also take that into automotive, and we dominate the wireless connectivity for automotive also. And that solution has to work all the time, every time. And, you know, life of cars is going to almost 11 years now. So it's got to work all the time. All right. Now, you've got a car behind you. I haven't talked earlier about how I am concerned about the uh, potential ride sharing problem, the secular decline of autos. But you, unlike a lot of the other industrial companies, have actually are getting a major new uh, percentage of uh, per dollar amount per car. And it doesn't seem to be stopping, even though the auto business itself is slow. How are you able to do that? Uh, so, again, it goes back to uh, our strategy of diversification, including uh, what I mentioned, IoT, also in automotive. You have to go broad. You can't bet on you know, electric vehicles or uh, combustion engines. 
What we've done over the last two years, we have focused our new technology, our innovation on the cockpit or the passenger vehicle, which is where a lot of the OEMs put a lot of differentiation. When you do that, this is not where customers are going to skim when there's a SAR component that is declining or the unit declining. The sales will keep driving the high end of that market. You know, everybody wants a premium entertainment uh, center in that car. Everybody wants to have the latest instrument cluster. This is what Cypress does. This is where customers are differentiating when you go to the lot and buy a car. And that's why I've always talked about content growth and content creation. We've been doing that for uh, a couple of years now. And when the market started to turn, we will keep enjoying that growth. And we have. Okay, Hassan, I've got to tell you, one of our absolute favorite companies was unfortunately swallowed up, which is Harman. Uh, and we just think the world of that company. And you're one of their partners, right? Uh, that's right. That's right. So I need to get. We, we provide for. Right. Because they're they're really the brains of most uh, of most inside uh, entertainment infotainment. Uh, one other thing you uh, today was a day where we heard a lot about how bad Nand is, about how bad Flash is. You saw it coming and you knew to get out of it. What does that mean for shareholders in terms of leaving a, a, a non proprietary business and concentrating on proprietary business? So that's a very important uh, component. So at the end of the year, like you said, we saw it coming. It is not core to our strategy, which is focusing on differentiation and bomb content. Uh, it would have been a, a added pressure on our gross margin, which we have done a great job increasing and expanding our gross margin. So we decided to carve that business and form a JV with SK Hynix System IC. However, what is left is a NOR business. However, our NOR is not the same as a lot of the NOR you hear about in the market from uh, some of our peers or some of our competitors. Uh, we focused our NOR over the last couple of years uh, on the high-density NOR. Our ship density today is four times what the rest of the market ship. So we're really in the high-end, high-reliability and in automotive. All ADES uh, systems need our NOR. And that's why for us, NOR is a growth even if the commodity uh, NOR that you hear about from others is in decline, our NOR is stable, pricing is stable, and there's future growth as we see more and more ADAS penetration in automotive. Well, you know, the assisted driving, that's fa- it's a fantastic story. Uh, you're really rising above everybody else. And Hassan Okori, that is because you personally have decided to take your company that we knew had a lot of commodity and make it all proprietary. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. That's Cypress Semi, CY, and you can see why they were able to triumph from the day when Intel brought the whole group down. Stay with Chris. It is time! It's time for the light and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy! Time for the lightning round because wants to drop with. Piyush in California. Piyush. Hi, Jim. What's up, we Mike? are from Lincoln, California. Thank you for your show. We are learning a lot. My stock is Kroger. Sticker symbol is KR. Uh, I've been holding some stock. It's a tough one. I'll tell you why it's so tough. Because you're up against Amazon and Walmart. And you're up against Target. And it's too much. Uncle! I'm going to have to say uncle when it comes to Kroger. Uncle Kroger. Let's go to Thomas in Nevada. Thomas! 
Hey, a big booyah from Las Vegas, Mr. Kramer. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I have had Akamai for a good while, and I was wondering if you still like it. Uh, yeah, I think that they're making, you know, the comeback continues with Akamai. They've got the best technology, and now they have really good management, I'm going to say. Then let's go to Cheryl in Florida. Cheryl! Greetings, Jim, and thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're, it's just all my pleasure. What's going on? Awesome. Office Properties Income Trust, OPI. Yeah, no, it's got too big a yield. I'm worried about it. When I see that kind of 8% yield, it makes me think, wait a second, maybe there should be a red flag thrown until we find out more. Okay, now let's go to Scott in Minnesota. Scott. Jim, a great big Minnesota booyah. Well, I'll give you, I I had a Super Bowl booyah when I was out there. What's going on? Looking for advice on making some more man money. With Nokia's recent beating and the upcoming 5G craze, is it a great time to jump in? No, for- no, they really did. They really did fail to deliver. I think you're gonna have to. I think you have to go with Erickson. Erickson's a better bet. Let's do that. Louis in Florida, Louis. Jimmy, this is Philly Louis. Go birds, go Phillies. Like the old days. What's going on? Listen, I'm an old school casino guy. I grew up in Jersey that way. Give me the manna from heaven. LVS. Las Vegas Sands, it is a bye-bye-bye. I think it's absolutely terrific. Don't forget, it has got a very good and solid yield. 4.5% while you're being paid away. And now I'm going to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My stock is Lionvale Basil, L-Y-B. I prefer to see you in Dow Chemical because if you're going to be in that business, you might as well. I mean, they reported OK Quarter. Might as well own Dow because you get a 5% yield. It's a little bit better. Let's make that swap and upgrade. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the glute of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. There's so much more mad money ahead. I love it. You know, I feel like I haven't slept in three days. That's how much I love this show. And froth, whether it's in the stock market or in this class. Hey, maybe I read too much Aesop as a kid, but I'd rather bet on the tourist than the hair anything. John Ledger, I mean, he's something. I heard him sing, I think, at the garden. Oh, wrong guy. No need for, like, the trash talk. This isn't Barstool. See what we got. One bite. Everyone knows the rules here. Look at this guy. Look at how he eats a pizza. Zoom in on that. Well, he's never had a bite of pizza mm. before his life. Mm. He's wearing it. No! these fresh face IPOs flood the market, patients be extra skeptical of newly minted stocks. Even the ones that belong to good companies, they often tend to be overpriced. But every now and then I see one that's too attractive to ignore. And that's why I recommended that TradeWeb Markets the other day, an electronic trading platform that's trying to revolutionize all kinds of very old-fashioned financial instruments. And since then, the stock's give me a 10% gain. Three weeks. How did I know TradeWeb would work? Well, because it's part of a broader secular theme exemplified by market access, MKTX. That's the major electronic trading platform for bonds, and market access had made you a fortune. This stock has rallied about 400% over the past five years, and it's up a quick 45% since we last spoke to the CEO, roughly just nine months ago. 
and the darn thing just keeps climbing. Market access reported a solid quarter on Wednesday, some impressive trading volume growth, especially from their new open trading platform, which is up 66%. Sure, TradeWeb has been a big winner, but you don't want to forget about the original standout in the space, which, after TradeWeb's run, by the way, is actually represents a much bigger bargain. So let's check in with Rick McVeigh, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Market Access Holdings. Find out more about his company, what it's doing, where it's headed. Mr. McVeigh, welcome back to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. All right. First of all, congratulations on the Thank incredible you. returns. I want to talk about two concepts that I think never get old and are in secular growth mode. I'll talk about transparency and democracy, because when I traded bonds, we had no transparency, yeah. no democracy. You've changed that. We sure have. And uh, trading automation and the growth of electronic trading is only helping with that. Uh, the data that we now have available to our clients is allowing us to predict the next trade on about 25,000 QCIPs. So we're really promoting right, We'll tell QCIP what people know, because that is a remarkable it, figure from someone who has traded bonds. Every individual bond has an identifier right. or a QCIP. So uh, we now can, uh, we have very credible means of predicting the next trade in those bonds. Uh, so through artificial intelligence. Through artificial intelligence and the data that we have uh, that allows us to create models to predict that next trade. Uh, so that's the one piece that you talk about democratization of the of the market. That's all about open trading. Right. Uh, we've moved from a world where it was all client to dealer trading to one in which anyone can trade with anyone else around the world. And that's creating new forms of liquidity and bringing new entrants into the credit markets, which reduces transaction costs. OK, so uh, old world versus new world. Describe what used to be, I know, in my world versus the way it is now. Well, the old world and we've talked about this before. Yeah. Trading bonds like high yield like you did was really hard. Uh, You had to be on the phone calling around to find a price, uh, difficult to trade, uh, no real electronic means of execution, no real central uh, uh, trade tape for data. The new world is uh, a tremendous amount of real-time data at the ready for pre-trade price discovery, a wide open global electronic market, and new entrants flocking in. And we're mixing in ETF share trading now as another way to transfer risk in the bond market. Now, when our viewers hear ETF, they get very interested because they want to be in bonds. They want to be in ETFs because they're a little scared. Yeah. I don't blame them. I shouldn't use the word scared. They're concerned. Uh, how does an individual investor uh, be a benefit from market access? Well, two things, right? Uh, and uh, ETFs are clearly a very efficient way for individual investors uh, to participate in the in the global right. bond markets, so a lot of growth in ETFs. I agree with you. A sensible way for the individual investor. The other way, uh, uh, most uh, uh, individual investors also uh, invest through mutual funds, and as we're reducing the friction costs or the costs of trading for those mutual funds, that contributes to their portfolio returns. So what we do to drive trading costs down ultimately does help the individual. Okay, good. I do want to emphasize people at home. That is the way you should invest in these fixed income instruments. I was worried about you. I was worried about you because we had S&P Global on Doug Peterson, terrific guy. And the issuance in the fourth quarter was incredibly low because it was just such a terrible time. And I said, well, this is going to be when we get the test for whether market access is in secular growth or it's more cyclical. You had a blowout quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we're a little bit like mad money. We thrive on a bit of chaos. <laughs> okay, and, uh, thank you. In the fourth quarter, you're right, new issuance was way down, but right. there was much better volatility in the bond markets. Right. High yield spreads were blowing right. out. Uh, the uh, move into year end with limited balance sheet was making liquidity scarce, right. and clients flocked to market access to find the liquidity that they needed. Right. And we drove more transaction costs back out to our clients in that quarter than ever be- transaction cost savings 
back to our clients in that quarter than ever before. Oh, that's incredible. You know, Rick, I used to trade international bonds. And you know why I trade them? Because there were so many anomalies, inaccuracies, craziness that you could make a fortune just because it was blind man's bluff. <laughs> Internationally, you're fixing that. We are, and uh, we're really pleased about the trends we see in our business, in Europe in particular. Uh, but if you look back five or six years ago, international client volume was only about 10% of our total volume. It's now almost 30%. And Europe has been a big part of that, and they've really discovered the benefits of this all-to-all marketplace driving transaction costs lower. So we're really pleased that this has moved from primarily a U.S. story to a global right. story. One last question. You know, I mentioned TradeWeb. Uh, it is wrong to say that really you guys are head-to-head competitors. You're kind of both after the same kind of thing, right? We sure are. You know, they're both uh, very successful global electronic fixed income businesses. Uh, so we are not at all surprised that they had a successful IPO. Um, and uh, that they've traded very well since because there's a scarcity value in electronic trading venues. It takes a long time to build these networks, and it costs a lot of money. So if you look at the ones that that have been successful, they're they're people like TradeWeb and Market Access that have been in the market for 20 years. But they participate mostly in the liquid end of fixed income, the rates market, and our focus is almost entirely on the credit markets which is where it's historically been harder to trade bonds, and we're making that easier. Well, that's really important because I know that we've recommended TradeWeb, but when I heard you were coming on, I have to admit, TradeWeb has gotten too expensive versus market access. That's Rick McVeigh, founder, chairman, CEO of Market Access. What a phenomenal story, and it's a good story for you as an investor. Stick with Kramer. This week, one of the most iconic American companies, 3M reported a truly hideous quarter. You know what? We got to find out more about this because I've always said that this is a perfect stock for long-term portfolio hunters of both dividends and capital appreciation, which is why I'm so glad that Michael Roman, the CEO, will come right here on Monday and we'll find out the truth about 3M. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.